Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The volume. Just a reminder that you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. I want to thank you for joining me this week. Thank you for joining me every week. As I've often said, you guys are the best audience in all of combat sports. Those that subscribe, that rate, that review, I thank you. It's the best way to help us grow this show. So, it has been a weirdly busy week in boxing. Came into the prep for this show thinking we talk about the Jake Paul-Nate Diaz fight, talk about the Valdez-Navarrete fight, and we're going to do all that. Corey Erdman, BoxingScene.com, he's going to join me to run through all the news of the week in boxing. But in the last couple of days, there have been some developments in the heavyweight division. Dillian White, former world title challenger, he is out of a scheduled fight against Anthony Joshua, testing positive for a banned substance. In his place, Robert Hellenius, another former world title challenger who will step in and face AJ on short notice. Eddie Hearn, Matchroom Boxing, he's going to join me to discuss everything that's happened over the last few days as it relates to AJ and Dillian White. But I want to weigh in on this myself before we get to Corey and to Eddie. And look, I don't want to talk too much about what happened with Dillian White, largely because I don't know enough. I don't know what substance Dillian White tested positive for. I don't know the amount of the substance in his system. I don't know any reasoning or excuses Dillian White might have for testing positive. So I want to put that on a shelf for a moment and just talk about the replacement, and that is Robert Hellenius. Now, it's not a great fight. Let's be real about that. Robert Hellenius, he's old. He's washed up. Uh, Deontay Wilder probably got the last bit of credibility out of Robert Hellenius, who resuscitated his career with two wins over Adam Kovnatsky, which were significant wins at that time. Goes into the Wilder fight, 
is game, you know, comes to fight, but gets knocked out in the first round viciously. One-punch knockout by Deontay Wilder. I think most people believe that was going to be the end of Robert Lennius. He came back this past weekend, won a low-level fight in a castle in Finland. If you haven't seen the video of that, I encourage you to go on social media and find it. Uh, and now he's stepping in to face Anthony Joshua. It's not a great fight. Anthony Joshua should, should win this fight convincingly. Should win this fight by knockout, if we're being honest. But I, I don't really care. Because I came into 2023 thinking of it as a rebuilding year for Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua has had a tough last few years. He lost to Andy Ruiz in 2019. He lost two fights in a row to Alexander Usyk, neither one of them which were all that close. Uh, He has a new trainer. He's trying to rebuild for a new last chapter of his career. That's what I always viewed 2023 as. He fought Jermaine Franklin. That was the right fight. Dillian White. See, this Dillian White fight had the benefit of being the right fight for Anthony Joshua, the boxer, and the right fight for Anthony Joshua, the businessman. Because Dillian White has history with Anthony Joshua. They fought back in, what, 2015. That was a fight when both those guys were prospects. Uh, He talks a lot. There's bad blood there. Uh, And he's got enough credibility with his own win over Jermaine Franklin to make him a credible opponent for Joshua. But I never thought it was a particularly dangerous fight for AJ. In fact, it was the kind of fight that would take place in front of a rabid crowd in London and AJ would win by spectacular knockout. That's how I viewed the AJ Dillian White fight. With that fight now off, I know there are a lot of people out there saying, hey, Andy Ruiz put his hand up again. There's a storyline there. Philip Hergovich is on the undercard. Just bump him up. Martin Bacoli is out there. Michael Hunter is out there. But asking AJ to take one of those fights on what is effectively five or six days notice, it just wasn't realistic. What's more realistic is AJ taking a fight like this, which is a low-level fight, and continuing to rebuild his confidence, continuing to rebuild himself as a fighter, get another you know, however number of rounds with Derek James in his corner and keep building towards what should be a pretty compelling 2024. I mean, 2024 for AJ has the potential to be a massive year. Let's say this Deontay Wilder fight comes through, the one that's planned for Saudi Arabia, January, February of 2024. Uh, That's a major event. Dangerous fight, major event. It's going to make Anthony Joshua a boatload of money. Let's say Anthony Joshua gets through a Deontay Wilder fight. A showdown with Tyson Fury is massive. Whether it's in the UK or in the Middle East, that fight is going to generate Joshua tens, twenties of millions of dollars, just a boatload of cash. It just doesn't make sense to take a challenging fight, even a B-level fight, like Hergovich, like Andy Ruiz, like Martin Bacoli. You've got to be cautious in situations like that, especially when they come up on short notice. So that's kind of a long way of saying I don't really have a problem with AJ taking this Hellenius fight. I think it's, uh, I'm a little iffy on Hellenius still boxing because he's been in some wars over the years and that knockout by Deontay Wilder was vicious, but he did come back this past weekend. He got a win, third round knockout, and his team believes he's ready to go once again. So I I just, I'm fine with it. It's whatever. I don't think it's a good fight. I don't think AJ is going to be threatened. I think more likely than not, he wins by big knockout. But at this point of his career, what he's trying to do, where he's trying to go with his career, this is the right fight 
for Anthony Joshua. All right, so we're going to talk to Corey Erdman about that and much more a little bit later on. Eddie Hearn, Matchroom Boxing, he's going to join the show as well. But first, Corey Erdman, BoxingScene.com, zone broadcaster. He is up next. All right, with the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Well, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy with your end-of-summer goals to cook, but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the shopping prepping and cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need factors fresh never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes so all you have to do is heat and enjoy then get back to crushing your goals refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat choose from 34 plus flavor packed dietitian approved meals ready to eat in just two minutes level up with gourmet plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. This August, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash manix50 and use the code manix50 to get 50% off. That's a great deal. That's code manix50 at factormeals.com slash manix50 to get 50% off. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, Corey Erdman is here, BoxingScene.com, zone broadcaster. You can catch Corey on Friday at Overtime Arena in Atlanta. He'll be on the mic for the Overtime Boxing Series. That's a series you can watch every Friday on zone. And Corey, I was just talking a moment ago about the A.J. Dillian White situation. Dillian White, of course, testing positive for a banned substance. He is out of the Anthony Joshua fight on Saturday. Robert Hellenius, who was last seen in a mainstream way uh, in the U.S. against Deontay Wilder, losing in the first round. He is now in. So give me your thoughts on everything that's transpired the last couple of days between AJ and Dillian White. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I was disappointed. And, you know, it's the timing obviously isn't good uh, for Matchroom either because they're obviously coming off the heels of dealing with and litigating the Connor Ben situation and then having Dillian White go through this as well. Um, it's not a, a nice situation for them to be in PR-wise. Um, but it did mean that I didn't completely waste my time last week because when I got here t- to Atlanta, Chris, 
rather than go sightseeing and, and do any number of things that I could have done here in Atlanta, I was finding a way to watch Finnish television so that I could watch Robert Hellenius fight in a castle of built in 1475. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, like, what is the purpose of this other than feeding my own brain sickness? The purpose was that I was actually doing research for what would turn out to be the marquee fight of the very next week. So uh, it turned out I didn't waste my time. Yeah, I said at the top of the show, I don't have much to say about the Dillian White situation. I don't know anything about right. the Dillian White situation. I don't know what he tested positive for. Uh, I don't know what his rationale or his reasoning is going to be. So I'm going to put that on a shelf uh, for the moment. Um, as far as AJ against Hellenius goes, we've seen a lot of criticism about that fight, largely because when Hellenius was last seen by a worldwide audience, he was getting nearly decapitated by Deontay Wilder in one round, knocked out by Wilder, who everybody thought you know, that was going to be the end of Robert Hellenius. I think he even announced retirement after the fight or suggested he was going to retire after the fight. He comes back for a low-level fight, as you said, in a castle in Finland. Uh, I saw some of the pictures and visuals from that. That was interesting, to say the least. Um, do you have a problem with AJ taking on Robert Hellenius on short notice? No, I mean, with this kind of notice, I think that Hellenius is about as good as you're going to get. And like, yes, could Joshua have given... Um, you know, more of an unknown fighter, a younger fighter, an opportunity on short notice, I suppose. But, you know, Hellenius is at least a name that is known to people. Um, and they still have to market a fight like this. And, and as much as we're in the know and the listeners of this show are in the know and, and they know what the deal is with this fight, there will be others who will see, oh, you know, former world title challenger, a guy that's fought some big names. Uh, and there is some value to that. And there's also some value in that kind of continuity, the through line with what Deontay Wilder did to Hellenius and the obvious fact that the fight that Joshua and his team are headed towards is that fight against Deontay Wilder. So there, there can be some comparison there. And also, I think for Joshua, there is some value in what should be a, a knockout victory because it's been a little while uh, since there's been a, a bit of a, a palate cleanser for Anthony Joshua. Of course, he gets the win over Jermaine Franklin, but then there's the two losses to Alexander Rusik. It's been a while since he's been able to add to that highlight reel. You know, like our friends in the editing department, when they're putting together promos for AJ fights, they're still using that like Rafael Zumbano love knockout when AJ was like 7-0. and So it's there is some value, as sad as it is to say, uh, in just getting some fresh content and something out there with AJ potentially starching someone because I think that's what we're expecting to happen in this fight. Yeah, I think it's easy to say that AJ should have taken on someone tougher. And it's easy to say, you know, on, on paper, you could make a fight with Philip Hergovich, who was fighting on the undercard. Or we saw Martin Bacoli out there looking for the fight. Michael Hunter will fight anybody. Uh, you saw Andy Ruiz putting his hand up again to be a late replacement for Anthony Josh. But the reality is that very few of those fights were realistic, especially within the time frame that Matchroom had to to make a fight. I mean, we saw Andy Ruiz, he couldn't make a fight with Deontay Wilder because money was a stumbling block. Uh, Philip Hergovich is undefeated. He's got an eye on a world title shot in his next fight. Would he have taken that fight on short notice? I don't know, but you know, he's got a fight of his own on the undercard, the potential to face Usyk uh, in his next fight. So there's that part of it. And look, I've often said that you know, 2023 is a rebuilding year for Anthony Joshua. Um, yeah. 
He's coming off back-to-back loss to Usyk. He's lost something like, what, three of his last five fights. Uh, he's done, he's, he's bouncing back. He's got a new trainer in Derek James. He wants to stay active with that trainer. He wants confidence builders. Like you said, he wants knockouts. Uh, and he's building towards a big fight, presumably, against Deontay Wilder in the first quarter of 2024. So, Hellenius yeah, to me is fine. Like, they took it off pay-per-view, which is the, the right thing to do. Uh, they'll give refunds to people that don't want to watch AJ versus Hellenius at O2 Arena. I just think we couldn't, we shouldn't have expected Anthony Joshua to replace Dillian White with anyone below or anyone above sea level. Just wasn't going to happen. Uh, he, he he needs something else at this stage. And Robert Hellenius, even though I have some questions about whether Robert Hellenius should still be fighting because yes. that was a catastrophic knockout he had to Deontay Wilder. But he just fought this past weekend, so he's obviously in decent shape at least. Uh, and... Look, he is a couple of fights removed from two pretty impressive wins at the time against Adam Kovnowski. So I don't really have a big problem with it. Um, I don't really have a big problem with Anthony Joshua. I think he's got to be active at this point. He's been too inactive over the last few years, and he had to keep that date. He had to fight somebody. I didn't want to see him in against Derek Chisora. I frankly don't want to see Derek Chisora anymore, period. I think I think Derek Chisora, if we're saying Robert Hellenius is nearing the end, Derek Chisora is at the end. It's over for Derek Chisora. He's got to stop taking beatings in the ring. Even if though he's fighting Gerald Washington, who also shouldn't be fighting. You've got a lot of guys on that card that I don't think should be fighting anymore. Um, I, I didn't want to see Chisora against AJ. I, I think that's dangerous for Derek Chisora. For Hellenius, it's still dangerous, but maybe not not so much. Uh, I'm with you. I'm expecting something seismic from uh uh, from Anthony Joshua in that fight. It would be good for him, for his highlight reel, for his confidence to get a win under his belt and then move along uh, with his career. So we'll address more of that with Eddie Hearn. He's going to join the show a little bit later on. Uh, let's talk about this past weekend. We had Jake Paul go 10 rounds for the first time in his career, beating Nate Diaz. Uh, Corey, I predicted a knockout in this fight, but other than the knockout, this went basically as I expected. I wrote on Friday for SI.com that Nate Diaz does not have a chance to win. And all the MMA fans out there that were in my mentions and all the people that were shooting me down on social media, no. Proof's in the pudding. Like, <laughs> Nate Diaz, uh, while showing more uh, conditioning, maybe, than I thought. He went 10 rounds in his first boxing mm-hmm. match, so there's that. Uh, did not seem to take this fight very seriously. Never threatened Jake Paul until he got him in a chokehold in the very end of the fight. Um, it, it just it just went as I expected. How did that fight play out for you? Yeah, pretty much as expected as well. And and you're right. Like Nate Diaz was. I think that this is kind of the last time that Jake Paul can go to that well, and that well being fighting a current or former MMA fighter and basically tricking the audience or a portion of the audience into believing that they have an opportunity to win. I, I think don't even that- know if that's true, Corey. Like, I, I think MMA fans are always going to believe in their guy. I, yeah. I think if, J- if Jake Paul made a fight against Conor McGregor for December, sure, which is not going to happen, by the way, there will be a large swath of pay-per-view buying MMA fighters that are going to be convinced that Conor McGregor, all 170 pounds of him, can beat Nate Diaz or beat uh, Jake Paul. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, you know, like hyper popular guys like McGregor are going to be outliers here. And and that's why Nate Diaz worked here, because I think that logically people understand now after seeing it time and time and time again, uh, many times with Jake Paul himself, 
that someone who is specializing in boxing is going to beat someone who's kind of a multidisciplinary fighter. That's just how this works in sports and in particular in combat sports. Nate Diaz was sold as a guy that could have been a boxer but had these other skills and so he went into MMA and it was rooted in these sparring sessions with Andre Ward over a decade ago and the fact that Ward was kind enough to say yeah he was pretty good you know but we've we've heard that all the time people are just very nice about people they spar and they're typically not going to you know denigrate them afterwards they're, they're no, you had to listen to life. the guys you had to listen to the guys that were doing the denigrating like right. what was it Falcoa who sparred right. 12 rounds with him in Robert Garcia's gym he said after two rounds this guy was done he said boxing's not for him I believe that guy like right. I respect Andre Ward for backing up his guy and all the people that are part of Team Diaz but He's never boxed. He has right. never, ever boxed. And when you put a guy that has never boxed, that has fought in one combat sports discipline for his entire combat sports career, in with a guy who, as green as Jake Paul is, clearly has some boxing skills. Rudimentary, yes, but he's got some boxing skills. He's got real power in both hands. Uh, you put him in, put a guy like Diaz in with a fighter like that, or any MMA fighter in with a guy like that, and they're going to lose. Every single time, they're going to lose. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, at the very least, you know, Diaz was basically able to, and I wrote about this on Boxing Scene on Monday, he was kind of able to mimic what, a, a, a like, a UK or European-level, like, journeyman, I'm talking journeyman, like, 70 to 100 lost journeyman, what they're able to do with prospects, which is basically just give them rounds, pander to the, to the crowd, be a little bit of a clown, amuse everyone, and then ultimately lose in the end. And Diaz had the punch resistance and the cardio to offer that for Jake Paul while not really troubling him in any way. So he was able to do that. And he showed that, yes, Jake Paul has power in both hands, but he doesn't have like magic eraser power at cruiserweight or at 175. He wasn't able to get Nate out of there. So he was able to show certain things that Jake will obviously have to work on if he has his goal of becoming world champion by 2026, which is what he said uh, at the press conference afterwards. That's a new one. I mean, not super new, but he's he's gone from saying, I will be a world champion someday to put a date on it. Like, and, right. he, and he's targeting Canelo. Like, let's be clear. It's not, he doesn't want Canelo's title. If Canelo doesn't have a title, he wants Canelo because that's a huge payday if he can convince Canelo Alvarez to get into the ring with him. Uh, but he's added that to his list of future teases. Uh, one thing he's saying, though, and I'll take him at his word for it right now, is that he's willing to get into the cage with Nate Diaz, fight him in the PFL, offering Nate Diaz. $10 million. And Corey, if I'm Nate Diaz, I take that immediately. If there's a check for $10 million plus pay-per-view upside, even if I don't really want to fight in the PFL, which it sounds like Nate's all that not all that warm to, you take $10 million bucks and you get Jake Paul into your combat sports domain. Because Nate Diaz against Jake Paul in the cage, that's Nate Diaz all day long in my opinion. Yeah, and 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 faster. Like I, I don't in the cage. Oh yeah, when you, you can know, choke a guy out. You yeah, can kick exactly. him. You can do all sorts yeah. of things. Yeah, there's. I I don't see a way for Jake Paul in the cage to do what Diaz was able to do in a boxer, which is just go rounds and survive and absorb punishment. There's just there's not ways to escape in the way that there is in, in the boxing ring. So yeah, of course for ten million dollars. I mean, I'm sure that would be a career high payday. Of course you take that fight and. You know, credit to Jake Paul for, like, if he's serious about taking that, because 
that's a real risk. And, you know, Jake Paul, obviously, one thing he obviously cares about is his level of fame. He doesn't want to be humiliated on the internet. That is his currency in being able to be the troll who ultimately gets the upper hand. Uh, he's putting himself at real risk of becoming a meme if he steps into the cage. You know, So uh, credit to Jake for putting himself out there and offering to do that. So you kind of touched on this. Do you think there's any, I mean, what's marketable out there for Jake Paul? I had some people on social media say, Jorge Masvidal. Like, no, no, it's the same outcome. It's the same, you know, even if you put like a John Jones in there with Jake Paul, I don't think John Jones beats him. He's a lot bigger, but I don't think John Jones beats Jake Paul in boxing. Francis Naganu probably does because he's so much bigger, but, uh, you know, the, the crossover options are, they're dwindling. I mean, I think Conor McGregor would be huge, but I don't think Dana White's going to sign off on Conor McGregor going to fight Jake Paul in a boxing match. Not not now, probably not ever. Um, to me, the only options for Jake Paul in boxing in 2024 are a rematch with Tommy Fury and then KSI. I mean, KSI is the mega showdown. That's the mega fight. Probably over in the UK, they can probably do something like Wembley Stadium. I mean, they could do something big with Jake Paul against KSI. That fight gets even bigger if KSI can find a way to beat Tommy Fury uh, later on this year. And there's so much spice to that. You know, the relationship between KSI and Logan Paul, they're now best of friends. They are business partners. Uh, Logan has told me the beef between Jake and KSI is absolutely real. They hate each other. Uh, that has some spice to it. That has the ability to make Jake Paul a bundle of money in a crossover type of fight. But other than that, I, I, there's nobody left in the UFC that I want to see him fight. There's nobody in the other promotions, combat sports promotions, that I want to see him fight. And he's not ready for a real fight. I mean, Canelo has got business in 2024 and probably beyond against other real fighters. Um, I, I think it's just KSI. And it's just Ch Tommy Fury. And if Tommy Fury loses to KSI, he's probably out of that mix as well. Yeah, I mean, I think like a year ago or so, you know, there was the possibility. I think Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. was being, uh, you know, dangled out there as well. But that, like, that feels icky. Is he to retired? Me is he, I don't even know. Is he back? Kind of retired. Well, and it feels gross to me because I it, it feels like it's preying on, you know, Chavez Jr.'s very real personal problems. And if Jake were to win, it's obviously because, you know, Chavez Jr.'s demons have, have just sapped him of whatever talent he had before. And, and so I'm not personally interested in, in seeing him go that route. I think the reality is that Jake isn't going to, and nor should he really, fight someone who isn't already famous, who doesn't have built-in fame and a built-in storyline like the two names that you just mentioned uh and there's also still some learning for him to do and because of this predicament that we're talking about that learning for him is going to have to happen in the gym but a fight like against ksi it's it's kind of the perfect matchup because it, not only does it have all of those juicy storylines for the people who are invested in that world but it's kind of two guys that are running on a parallel path and the winner can kind of say, well, I, I am the real boxer that's going to continue forward. And the other one, you know, if they want to continue on and do the thing, that's fine. But it, it determines who the real one of these two is. And that's at least something. But I, I, there's just it's you're running out of options because Jake could fight an obscure boxer and just market the fight on his back as being, you know, me versus a real boxer, whoever it is. But I, I don't think that's appealing to him, and it's not going to make him quite as much money 
And, you know, you know Jake a lot better than I do, but I get the sense that being a famous person and, you know, being having successful events that aren't going to be, you know, clowned for tanking or anything like that, that is of utmost importance to him, too. And if he steps outside of this realm of fighting people with built in clout, he puts himself at risk of becoming that. Yeah, he's been very critical publicly of the things that Misfits Boxing are doing, the Kingpin Boxing are doing, kind of the gimmicky stuff, tag team boxing, all the stuff we're seeing happen with influencers right now. He doesn't want any part of that, doesn't want to be uh, a part of that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's KS, KSI's a mega event. If he can make that happen in the summer of 2024, that's a huge event over in the UK. I think there's still money uh, in a fight against... Tommy Fury. So he's got a couple of options left on the table. I'll tell you, it was interesting. I was, it was a packed crowd at American Airlines Center on Saturday night. I was in the crowd, didn't call the fight, but I went and watched. And none of these people are boxing fans. None of them. In fact, you know, you, you talk to a few of them and the things you hear are, this is my first ever boxing match. Um, you know, Floyd Mayweather could walk through that crowd and he would be less identifiable than the guy Logan Paul does a podcast with. Like that that's right. how I mean that that's how different and unique that crowd was. So he's able to bring some people into boxing and able to uh introduce them to some real fighters. And that's what brings me to my next topic and that is Amanda Serrano, who we saw for the 20th round beat the daylights out of Heather Hardy. I give Heather Hardy a lot of credit. I mean, she was all guts in that fight, but didn't have a chance to win from the opening bell. Um, 41 years old going up against a still in her prime Amanda Serrano. That was just too much for Heather Hardy to handle. But I did find it interesting that Alicia Baumgartner was there ringside, part of the commentary team for that fight. That's a big fight, Corey. Serrano against Baumgartner has become a pretty significant fight. That's a fight that I think can do a big crowd at Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, maybe a small venue in Las Vegas. Of course, if you bring it back to Detroit, Baumgartner's turf, you could do a crowd there. Maybe you go to Puerto Rico and do a crowd there with uh, uh, Amanda Serrano. But that Baumgartner-Serrano fight has, while not quite reaching Taylor Serrano or some of the other mega fights we've seen the last couple of years, that's on that next level. I think that's a pretty competitive fight. If I'm both women, that's the fight I'm pushing for next. That you know, If you're Amanda Serrano, what does a title defense at 126 do for you? Um, you're not going to get a fight with Katie Taylor, at least not until like May of 2024. And, and Katie Taylor, for all we know, could retire after fighting Chantel Cameron a second time. So if you're Amanda Serrano, you're pushing for that fight. And if you're Baumgartner, that's the only fight out there for you too. You want Taylor. Uh, you'd do a fight with Michaela Mayer at a different weight, but at 130 pounds with all four of your belts, that's the only fight for you. So, I think that's a mega fight that could be brewing over the next six months. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a fantastic fight, uh, both marketing-wise for both of them. I think that, you know, Serrano and obviously her affiliation with Jake Paul and the the muscle that they would put behind that promotion as well would benefit Alicia Baumgartner. Um, but also it's just a fantastic fight as well. Like Serrano, for me, you know, regardless of gender, is one of the most exciting fighters in the sport still for me, you know, just an all-action volume puncher. And Alicia Baumgartner is, is in that bucket as well. I mean, this is this is a dangerous puncher who has an exciting style in the ring. And we saw kind of the storyline building with, with Baumgartner on commentary as well, kind of talking... Uh, 
to Serrano on commentary and kind of saying like, hey, I'm this new generation that you haven't fought yet. Like you, you are one of the greatest of all time. You have broken barriers, but there's a, an A tier of fighters who have come along since you. And even since Katie Taylor, that you haven't had a chance to fight yet. You know, her and, and Michaela Mayer and, and Sinisa Estrada, like all of these A level fighters that Serrano um, has yet to really match up with. Let's see if she can beat them. Like that, that is compelling. It's a generational battle. It's a fantastic style matchup, and it does good business as well. I mean, Serrano and Baumgartner's stock, uh, you know, their social media following, everything has been growing and growing and growing over the last year or two. Uh, I think it would be the perfect time and the perfect fight for both of them. Yeah, and if you're Serrano, who has pledged in the past that she wants to stay at 126, she's only going to go up again for a rematch with Taylor. You got to come off that some because there's nobody at 126 or 122 coming up that makes any kind of sense, makes any kind of money for you. And Baumgartner, even though she's a strong fighter and we've all seen the Terry Harper knockout, uh, I'd probably favor Serrano in that matchup. I mean, I was looking at the numbers from Serrano against Taylor. Serrano threw like 650 punches over 10 two-minute rounds against Katie Taylor, like she could overwhelm Baumgartner. And Baumgartner may have to just land that one bomb. And Serrano's also shown she's got a pretty good chin and is willing to stand in the pocket. That's just a great fight. That's a headlining fight. And I don't think there is a headlining fight out there for for either one of them. I mean, Serrano in a title defense, whatever. Baumgartner defending her title against Choi, the the Korean fighter. Like, I, I'm good. I don't need to see that. Like, there, there's... There's nothing else out there for for either one of them. I hope they those two sides can get together. It's Matchroom, it's MVP. They've done a deal in the past. They did a deal for Taylor against Serrano. They can do a deal again for Baumgartner uh, against uh, against Serrano. All right, this weekend, Corey, we have a pretty good matchup in the 130-pound division. Oscar Valdez, two fights removed from a loss to Shakur Stevenson. He will be going for a 130-pound title for a second time. He's going to face a fellow Mexican in Emmanuel Navarrete. This feels like a good style matchup. Like I know Navarrete is a slight favorite, but I think a lot of that is because people think Valdez has lost a step. He's a little bit older, uh, had that tough loss to Shakur Stevenson. has been some wars in the past, but I mean, what I saw Navarrete get knocked down in the fourth round by Liam Wilson. He's not, you know, he's not invulnerable. I think there's this has the potential to be a fight of the year type of fight. What do you think? This is, this is an awesome fight, uh, both in terms of the caliber of the fighters, but also the style matchup as well. And it's kind of suffering from how many big fights uh, it, it's coming on the, on the backs of right now. I, I think that if this were coming off of two quiet weeks, there would be a whole lot more excitement about this fight. And it deserves that level of excitement. And I hope that as the week goes on, people will start kind of really getting revved up for this fight because this could be a fight of the year. Uh, I don't think there's any way that this fight can be boring. Um, and, it, and it's just compelling stylistically as well. I mean, these are two guys that aren't adverse to action, but have very different approaches as well. I, I think that Valdez uh, is probably more traditionally skilled uh, than Navarrete is, but Navarrete is is big, is uh, awkward in his punch delivery, his ability to land long-range power shots from uh, weird angles, both coming up and chopping down. Uh, that's very interesting. It makes him dangerous at all times. And, but as you said, looked a little bit vulnerable against Liam Wilson as well. He's not as big uh, and he's not kind of the, you know, the zombie that can absorb everything that he was at 122 and 126. Mm -hmm. uh, that changed the dynamic of this as well. And uh, I'm interested to see how Valdez will 
approach this fight? Is he going to approach it as the problem or as the problem solver? You know, is he going to wait for Navarrete to come at him with, you know, with his vaunted offense? Or is he going to take it to Navarrete a little bit and try and work on the inside? I, I think if he does the latter, uh, for me, if I'm kind of prognosticative, I'm coming up with a game plan. I think he's better off doing that even though it may be tempting for him to say, I'm the boxer, I have these other ways to win, uh, let me try and fight off the back foot. I think you take it to Navarrete, and that makes for a better fight, and I think it, it gives him a better chance of victory, too. I agree with that part of it. I think he's got to make this an inside fight. You keep it on the outside against Navarrete, you become open to those uppercuts that he likes to throw, yeah. let him use a little bit of that length. Um, I get the premise that Valdez is more the boxer than the puncher, but I think he's got to make it a war, and I think we're going to find out pretty early if Valdez has another war in him, you know, because whether it's Shakur Stevenson, where he broke his jaw against Scott Quigg years ago. I mean, he's he's been in some tough, tough fights over the years. And at 32 years old, we'll see if he has a tough fight in him. But I think this is one of those perfect style matchups that is going to make for a great main event for top rank uh, on ESPN this weekend. Last thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, watch the Showtime all-access epilogue from Crawford against uh, uh, Errol Spence Jr. Uh, the, the part I laughed at was you had, this is after they showed the footage of Bud Crawford yelling at Jermel Charlo. I just saw it on, on this clip on, on Twitter uh, where Jermel Charlo's like, you know, explaining his bona fides to James Harden. You see this? Like Harden's <laughs> yeah, looking at yeah. him. Harden's like, he in your weight class? What belts do you have? Like Harden's just trying to figure out who Jam- I know Harden knows who Jamel Charlo is because they're both Houston guys. But uh, it, Harden trying to learn about what exactly is the dynamic between Jamel Charlo and Bud Crawford. Now Jamel's out there now saying he'll take the fight against Bud. Put that on his Instagram recently. Um, I-, I would just caution people to not get too amped up for Jamel against Bud because I'm of the opinion, Corey, and I've said this on previous podcasts, but I'm of the opinion that Canelo Alvarez is going to beat Jermel down so badly that it might be a while before we see him fight again. I think Jermel against Canelo is so one-sided. And I think that we are, you know, I think we're grossly overrating how faded Canelo is, if he's faded at all. And we are overestimating Jermel Charlo, who was life and death uh, in at least one fight in parts of two with Brian Castaño. Uh, what Brian Castaño did to Jermel Charlo, which was walk him down and hunt him, it's exactly what Canelo's going to do. And Canelo has a better chin than Brian Castaño. Canelo's got more power than Brian Castaño. And people have been, I've been seeing this stuff on social media. Canelo's not taking the fight seriously. He's golfing. That was like three weeks ago. But I, I'm not going to get too amped up for Jermel Bud because I don't know what Jermel is going to look like after Canelo gets through with him. I think that is going to be a brutal beating for Jermel Charlo. I do. I just think Canelo's got too much left, is too big, is too strong, is too fast, and fights a style, which is pressure, getting on the inside, throwing punches, hard punches, that it's going to be very difficult for Jermel Charlo to compete with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much favoring uh, Canelo in that fight as well. I mean, I you know, is he going to dish out such a severe beating that it renders a, a Crawford fight impossible? I I, I don't know. But well, yeah, by the I, way, can I just add one other know. thing, Corey? Like yeah. Jermel's out there. He, he, some of the things he's saying is that well, Roy Jones did it. Well, that's not a great comparison. Like Roy Jones went up, and then when he went back down, his career was forever changed. He was right. not the same guy at light heavyweight after he went up to fight at heavyweight. So. 
I, there are questions about whether or not Jermel would come all the way back down to 154 after a fight with Canelo. I think it's more likely he drops back to 160, which would take the Bud fight off the table as well. Yeah, and and I would also caution people. I mean, you see this all the time. You know, people will see a clip of a, of a fighter doing something other than working out, and and they take that as evidence that they're not focused on the fight. In July, I mean, in July in, for a September fight. Right, in July. I mean, I, I I hate to break it to you, but fighters also have hobbies. And even your most sort of single-minded fighter, uh, you know, like Marvin Hagler would like lock himself in a cabin. Like Marvin Hagler like did ballet during camp at one point too. So, you know, like <laughs> fighters do stuff. And also what's the difference of, you know, Jamel is ringside watching a fight. That's not in the gym, like hitting the speed bag either. Like what you do in your leisure time is what you do in your leisure time. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, listen, uh, Jamel versus Crawford uh, is a fight that's very compelling to me. Uh, if they can make that happen, obviously, and they're they're planting the seeds for that. Uh, I find it, you know, I, I haven't had the chance to talk about this with you, but I found it remarkable that in the midst of what Terrence Crawford was doing oh, to Spence, that he had the the wherewithal to also trash talk Jermel Charlo. That it was so easy for Jermel, or sorry, for uh, for Terrence Crawford, that he had the time to think about that while he was beating up Terrence uh, uh, Errol Spence. Excuse me. I mean that like. It, it just goes to show how extraordinary that performance was, that, that he was able to do that. That was mind-blowing. Remarkable. Well, I guess then the question I would have is, if Jermel is going to fight Canelo on September 30th, he's not going to fight again till April, May, June of 2024. Bud Crawford's about to be 36 years old. Uh, is there a fight out there that makes any kind of sense for him? He's already ruled out a fight against Boots Ennis. And if you make Boots Ennis kind of the bar of fights that Terrence Crawford is interested in. There's not uh, any, is there, are there any fights above that that make sense for Bud Crawford at 147 or 154? I mean, if they could, I mean, I'm not saying this is a better fight fight than Boots, but like if they could compel him to face like a, a Keith Thurman or something, like that's the only other possibility. But I, I think after we saw what he did to, to Errol Spence, that becomes less compelling. That would be the only other option for me. I think he waits it out, faces Spence probably at 154. And then maybe you do have the Jermel Charlo fight, regardless of what happens in the Canelo fight. Then you can work towards that. But, I mean, Crawford is already talking about retirement as well. I don't yeah. know how much longer he even feels like doing this. I think that he's really proven his point. Uh, and, again, like we've talked about this uh, on here before, but he's really felt kind of... Uh, victimized by the the boxing machine and i think that there's a part of crawford that probably just wants to get this spence rivalry over with and say like hey i did prove my point what more do i need to do i don't need to put my body through this any longer i don't need to give anything more to this sport that he feels just tried to extract from him so i don't know if the timeline is even a possibility for him to fight jermel but if he wants to continue fighting, obviously I'm interested in that fight. Yeah, I don't think I just a guess. I don't think the Spence fight happens this year. I'm not sure a Spence rematch happens at all. Uh, I think when you have a little bit of time away, I don't know even at 154 if Spence is going to want to go back into that type of fight. I think the money would have to be great, and I'm not sure it's even marketable right now. I mean, you know, they did reportedly what 650, 700,000 pay per view buys. You do a rematch even at a new weight. That number's going down, and it's going down significantly because people have seen that show, and they know what to expect, or at least what they think they know what to expect in a rematch. I don't hate 
a Keith Thurman fight. Keith Thurman's been weird lately, though. Like, spent the entire week out in Vegas, and the only one that called him out was Clarissa Shields. Then I see this video of him on a plane. I don't know if you saw this. This was on Twitter. I did, yes. But he's I on did. a plane, and he's continuing to talk about himself in the third person. Like, he's arguing with a passenger about what has happened in his career. He claims he's still undefeated. Has a loss, but is undefeated against <laughs> Manny Pacquiao. I don't really <laughs> right. understand all that logic. He hasn't fought since February of 2022. I don't know. I don't know. That's not a competitive fight to me either, but I guess you could sell it because Keith Thurman's the other PBC welterweight that Terrence Crawford has long wanted a shot at and didn't get a shot at. But Boots is obviously off the table. Alexis Rocha, off the table. Amanda Stanionis, off the table. I would like to see Sp- uh, Crawford move up, though, and like let these guys get the belts and let these guys fight each other. If he's not going to defend these titles against the mandatories, whether it's Stanionis for the WBA, Rocha, WBO, Boots for the IBF. I don't think the WBC has one. Yeah, I know Thurman is is there, but I think he's going to fight at 154. Uh, let these younger guys fight it out and try to get some unified title fights at 147. Go up to 154, start the campaign there, maybe fight Keith Thurman, then see what happens. Like maybe Spence wants to do the fight in the summer of 2024. Maybe Jermel Charlo fares better than I think he will against uh, Canelo Alvarez. He's ready to go in the spring or summer of 2024. I, I just think, let, let let these titles go. You know, you don't want to defend it. You want to fight these guys you're supposed to fight them against. Uh, at least one of them is probably going to be gone. Let's say best case scenario, you get Spence Crawford in December. One of those belts is going to be out of your hands by then. Somebody's going to take it in, uh, a sanctioning body is going to take it away in a mandatory situation, whether it's uh, the IBF or WBO, who knows. So just let them all go. Go to 154, fight someone there, and then see if in the summer or the fall of 2024, if one of those other big names are available. Yeah, and I think from a, a physical perspective, it's it's interesting seeing Crawford move up as well because one of the many things that was fascinating and impressive about his performance against Errol Spence is that he also physically bullied a guy who I think many people thought, justifiably so, was the physically strongest high-level welterweight in the world. You know, we saw Crawford, and we all know about his wrestling background, get to the inside with with Spence and maneuver him wherever he wanted him to and pushed him off. And and that was a key moment in in the second round or the third round. You saw him just shove Errol Spence back. He was able to do that against Errol Spence, so I'm interested to see, well, like, can he do that against some 154-pounders as well? I, I think that, and obviously, his skills translate moving up, but uh, especially after seeing him against Errol Spence, I think that his physical strength does also. Yeah, we saw Bo Mac, Brian McIntyre, say something that I've long believed, and that Spence and PPC allowed Crawford to grow into that welterweight body. And I, I think there's truth to that. I think if Spence had fought Crawford five years ago when Crawford was just coming up from 140 and was not a full-fledged 147, maybe the outcome would have been different. But now with Crawford looking every bit as strong and stronger, as you point out, as as Spence, it just wasn't a fair fight. And I think regardless of whether it's at 154 or 147 again, uh, it's it's just not going to be competitive. I don't need to see that rematch again. I'd rather see Crawford fight someone else at 154 pounds. All right, check out Corey Erdman on Friday at Overtime Arena live on DAZN. Who's the main event of this Friday show? 
Uh, we got Albert Bell and Presco Carcosha. Albert Bell uh, still hunting for his title opportunities, so hoping to get uh, you know some exposure and maybe get some of those big names. Obviously, Bell uh, want to be maybe a little bit more exciting than he has been in the past. And with the overtime rules, there's knockout bonuses if you score a knockout in the first of the last round. Fights are a little bit more condensed. Uh, we hope that maybe he'll be compelled to do that. So tune in and check it out. All right, check out Corey on Friday. And when we come back, my conversation with Eddie Hearn. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, Eddie Hearn, Matchroom Boxing, Matchroom Boxing USA. He's got a show this weekend over in the UK, O2 Arena. Anthony Joshua will be in action, but he will not be facing Dillian White as planned. Dillian White out of that fight after an adverse finding on his most recent VADA test. Robert Hellenius, uh, former title challenger, he is back in, or he is in as the opponent. So Eddie, let's just start from, you know, when you found out about the adverse finding for Dillian White to coming to a decision to inserting Robert Hellenius as the opponent. So I found out I was actually on East Coast time, but it came through in the early hours of Saturday morning, UK time. Um just total shock, disbelief. Um, none of it makes sense, but it happened. And, um, you know, obviously we went through this situation with Connor Ben. We learned a lot from that situation. Um, the circumstances were very different as well. This was not a co-promotion as well. And waited for AJ to wake up on Saturday morning, spoke to him. And obviously we had no choice and he wanted to move forward with another opponent. And then the search begins, you know, probably 30 or 40 applications. 99% of them are a complete waste of time. But you have to go through them. You have to find someone, most important, that's credible enough 
but someone who you know legitimately you can get a deal done with at pace. Because if you start wasting three, four, five hours on four or five different guys before you know it, the whole show's falling through. And actually, before Dillian White accepted this deal, we had an agreement with uh, actually Louis de Cubis um, for the fight with Robert Hellanius. And he was one of the guys that we were thinking about selecting. Obviously, we ended up fighting Dillian White. Um, and when this news broke, um, Robert Hellanius' lawyer said, listen, we're two hours away from going into the ring in, a, in an eight-round comeback fight. If we get through okay, we'd love the AJ fight next week and obviously knock this guy out in three rounds. They sent me a, a video straight after and the negotiations ensued and he was the guy we went for. Um, credible, um, can punch, um, big, big guy. We know he, he lost by knockout to, to Wilder, but that right hand would have knocked most people out. A um, couple of good wins on Fox against Konaki. You know, six six days to go. Very credible. Why was someone like Philip Hergovich not credible in your mind? I've heard from people around him that he would have taken the fight, but w was not asked. Uh... Everybody who wanted the fight came forward. Philip Hergovich never came forward for the fight. Um, it wasn't even that, you know, more than credible, by the way. I mean, a very tough fight. I mean, I don't really like the idea of going in with Hergovich on six days' notice. And I don't think they really like the idea of going in with Joshua on six weeks' notice, if I'm really honest. He's been training eight weeks for a southpaw in Dempsey McKean. Probably had no orthodox sparring. AJ, you know, was training for a different style. He wasn't even really mentioned, Hergovic. He's also got his shot at the world title against Usyk next. Does he want to put that on the line against AJ? I don't know. But no, there was no conversations actually with Hergovic and his team didn't reach out and, and, you know, we know what he's been training for and that was decided that that's next. And also, Chris, as well, a part of me wants to keep that undercard together. It's a bit like Gerald Washington. You know, he put his name forward as well and I just felt that he's been a little bit inactive. He's coming off a couple of defeats, but I also want him to fight Derek Chisora on the card. So, yeah, Hellenius got the pick. It, I'm assuming you know what it is Dillian White tested positive for there's some confidentiality issues that, yeah. that you can't be specific about it but if i can put the question this way with with dillian white in your mind is this a billy joe saunders type of situation or is it closer to a jarrell miller type of situation i mean i haven't honestly because of the speed we've had to move i haven't really had an opportunity to even digest that information and go through it you know we don't represent dillian white but we have worked with him for a number of years it surprised me greatly. And, you know, he's got a huge fight on his hands now. I think one of the problems with the testing process is in this situation, there's no one really to be accountable to. As we know, VADA is a, a reporting agency that we employ to give the teams the information on a very strict and stringent testing program. But he is going to have to try and clear his name now. But who with? That's his bigger issue. Um, and... Yeah, regarding the tests and the substance and all that kind of stuff, obviously, you know, he's going to fight his own fight. A lot of that stuff is confidential. I'm sure it will it will be made apparent, but um, I haven't really looked into it in great depth other than just trying to sort out Saturday night and making sure Anthony Joshua can get in the ring after 12 weeks of hard work and genuinely looking fantastic. You've, you know, addressed, and he, 
Yeah, but. you've you've addressed this over in the UK a couple of times on Tuesday, but I want to ask you for for this audience about. You know, Eubank Ben was a protracted situation where you didn't cancel that fight right away, or that fight wasn't canceled right away. Uh, this fight between Dillian and AJ was called off right away. What is the difference between the two? I think, firstly, every test result, every substance is is very different. Also, that event was a co-promotion, um, Eubank Ben. And when we spoke to our co-promoters, who represented Chris Eubank and gave them the information of the very trace amounts within the tests and all the other tests that he passed around it. They wanted to take their own medical advice and they didn't want to cancel the fight. We then put it in the hands of the British Boxing Board of Control to make their decision. And also we, we learned a lot from that process. I mean, we definitely made mistakes and we wanted to act swiftly this time around. But also this fight is a, a pure promotion from Matram we had the opportunity to share those results with Anthony Joshua and his team who decided absolutely they didn't want to fight Dillian White with one week to go. There was no chance of any appeal process, which was different in the Conor Ben situation as well. So we had to act, we had to act more swiftly, but we definitely learned a lot from the Conor Ben um, situation. And I think we handled it in the right manner. There was a lot of buzz going into this fight. Uh, you know, both these guys don't like each other. You had press conferences, you had face-offs. Um, in your mind, is this fight now gone forever? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what Dillian's going to do or how he's going to go about this situation, but it's a huge, huge fight on his hands. You know, we've been a year, over a year in, in the process with Conor Ben. Um, and he's now, you know, been reinstated in the WBC rankings. He's had his suspension lifted and cleared by UCAD, and we're just coming out the other side of it, you know, 12, 13 months on. So you can imagine Dillian White has to go through a similar process with a different set of results and analysis that we've seen. And at that age, you know, is that a process that you can come through the other side of? Um you know, we wish him all the best, and 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 again, I was surprised. You know, and and you want to, you you always believe, and you want to believe in in those people, and and it it's not something I would expect from him, knowing the meticulous way that he 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 goes about his work and how careful he is after previous incidents that he was exonerated for, but you also can't ignore it, and it has to be dealt with. One of the reasons you wanted to get a fight for AJ on August 12th was because you want him back in the ring. You're hoping to make a fight with Deontay Wilder in the next four or five months. Uh, we know those deals are tricky with the Saudis. How confident are you that a Wilder fight is going to materialize sometime either in December of this year or the first quarter of 2024? I mean, we can only do what we can do from our side, which is we've told Skills Challenge, Saudi Arabia, we're in for that fight. We will fight Deontay Wilder next. We'll do it in December or January, no problem. And that was one of the reasons that he was so adamant in fighting this Saturday. Because if you don't fight this Saturday, you have three or four weeks off. Then you go back to camp. You end up fighting in November, December. The Wilder fight's gone. You know, he's also trained so hard in this camp. He's done so much great work with Derek James. He feels tremendous and he wants to showcase that. So, but at the same time, you know, we remember the late replacement of Andy Ruiz last time this same incident happened with Jarrell Miller and we got to be on the A game on Saturday night because we can't afford to lose this fight. 
I assume you didn't consider Jarrell Miller as a replacement. No, I mean, I, you know, I have my own thoughts on whether he should get an opportunity like that again and putting that to the side. There is absolutely no way I would never, I would ever entertain a fight with Jarrell Miller without him being part of an extringent uh, VADA testing program that we employ in all the big fights. Mm. All right, a couple things before I let you go because there is U.S. interest in some things with Matchroom right now. We saw Amanda Serrano get a win over Heather Hardy this past weekend. Alicia Baumgartner, your fighter, was uh, part of the broadcast team for that fight. She mentioned that she has one fight left on her Matchroom deal. There's also the potential, I guess, for a mandatory being called for one of her 130-pound titles. Clearly, the big fight for Baumgartner is against Amanda Serrano, and I'm guessing a fight against Choi is not big business for you. Uh, how do you approach Alicia Baumgartner? Are you planning on re-signing her? I mean, do you want to make the Serrano fight? What's next there? Oh, yeah, absolutely want to re-sign uh, Alicia Baumgartner. I mean, you know, she's we've had a great run with her. We we helped her get find her way to Undisputed, and she's done a tremendous job. I think she's a star um, we're in talks to extend that contract right now. The fights for her are Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron. You know, we've got all the undisputed champions. Obviously, Amanda's with with um, most valuable promotions. But, you know, we've made a big investment in women's boxing. We do all the major female fights. And, and Alicia is going to be in the biggest fights in the sport. So, yeah, we hope to conclude that. We would love to make Amanda Serrano next. Love to. Honestly, Serrano against Baumgartner is a... Brilliant fight. Two tremendous fighters, two tremendous undisputed champions. But at the same time, I think uh, Amanda Serrano would have one eye on Taylor Cameron and so would Alicia. But, you know, I think it's time now for Alicia to take the biggest fights in the sport. Mm. Last thing for you is it's been all quiet on the Edgar Berlanga, Jaime Munguia front. You know how much I love that fight, Eddie. You know how much I advocate for that fight. Uh, over here. Has there been any movement when it comes to making a fight uh, between Munguia, who's represented by Golden Boy, and of course Berlanga, who is your fighter? Yeah, I mean, the instructions from zone are very clear to both sides. We don't want any other fight for Berlanga or Munguia than them fighting each other next. And that's the instruction of our broadcaster. We should try and make that happen. You know, of course, both fighters and their representatives are entitled to get the best possible that deal they can for that fight. But if we can't make Belanga against Munguia and we can't get those fighters in the fight, what are we in the sport for? You know, I asked myself, Edgar, can you beat Jaime Munguia? He believes, yes, I can. I believe it's a 50-50 fight. Munguia thinks he can win. It's Mexico against Puerto Rico. It's the kind of fight that's going to break you out into a massive start. Like, if Munguia fights... Belanga, I cannot see how Canelo Alvarez cannot fight the winner of that fight, right? I mean, it's just such a natural fight. So you're going to put yourself... So the question is, do you want to roll the dice? Unfortunately, in boxing, sometimes trainers or advisors don't want to roll the dice. Well, guess what? I want to roll it. And I believe in our man. And I want to see Edgar Belanga in a massive fight that he can win. So I'll be doing everything I can. You know, look, it's no secret. The two fights that are top of the agenda right now is Devin Haney against Regis Progre and Jaime Munguia against Edgar Blanga. Two brilliant fights to add to the design schedule. And we're doing everything we can to make both of them. And that Haney-Progre fight, 
closer? Yeah, close. yeah. I mean, we, you know, I spoke to Devin last night. Now, Regis is in for that fight. We're tying up Devin Haney uh, on different bits and pieces. But the main thing now is to establish the date and the venue. You know, we're looking at Vegas, Atlanta, maybe the Bay Area as well. But I'm almost certain you'll see Regis Progray against Devin Haney next. All right, Eddie. Big second half of the year for you. Big week for you as well. I appreciate the time, man. I know it's a busy day. No worries, mate. Cheers. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Eddie Hearn for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.